Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we have reached Mark's account of Jesus on the cross in the middle of chapter 15. To assure that we have time this week for the entire message, we're going to jump right into today's slice of the sermon, succinctly titled, The Crucifixion. But what's interesting is right next to that place is the famous garden tomb. There is a tomb there. This is the first century style of tomb, like where Jesus is laid. And it's a, it's a very good pictorial for um, picturing the kind of uh, situation in which he would have been buried. And when you go to Israel and you go with me in the fall, we'll probably, we'll probably stop there and do a little bit of teaching and actually have communion outside of the, of the garden tomb. But the truth is, it doesn't matter exactly where this place was. Verse 23, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. The wine mixed with myrrh was a potion designed to temporarily deaden pain. It was probably given not out of compassion for the person being crucified, but probably to minimize struggling and wriggling and screaming on the part of the one who was being crucified for the convenience of the soldiers. In Jesus' case, he refused it. He chose to endure all of this with no... uh, human-authored physical relief whatsoever. So verse 24, and they crucified him. Uh, That's how much detail Mark gives to the crucifixion. And actually, Matthew, Luke, and John don't give a whole lot more uh, description of what it means to be crucified. We know a lot about what it means to be crucified, and it is an absolutely horribly brutal method of execution, one of the most vicious ever um, invented. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. Apparently, the soldiers who did these executions got a little perk from being allowed to divide up and salvage whatever they could of the possessions of their victims for the, for the largest single-piece outer garment of Jesus. They cast lots. They, they just, you know, took a game of chance to see who would get to keep that most precious of the pieces of clothing. And by the way, that is an exact fulfillment of what is described in Psalm 22, verse 18. Psalm 22 is one of the most famous messianic psalms. begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is, it is words that Jesus quoted, alluding to that entire uh, psalm. Verse 25 and following. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, nobody was wearing Timexes in those days. They didn't uh, mark exact times, but they broke the day into segments. And starting with sunup, roughly 6 o'clock, the third hour would be about 9 o'clock in the morning. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. 
that last verse there, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. That's uh, verse 28. It's not actually in the better manuscripts of Mark. It's not in the older manuscripts of Mark, but there's not a single problem with it because it is a a, a quote directly from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Another very specific prediction of uh, Jesus' death in the Old Testament, and we can see how uh, that came to be written down as a marginal note and then eventually included in later manuscripts as they were copied. No, does no harm to the text whatsoever. So, as a person was crucified, the, the custom was that they would um, write on a wooden a piece, of, piece of wood uh, what the charge was. You'd see the person hanging there on the cross, and it would say, uh, for murder, for um, extortion, for kidnapping, for whatever the capital crime was. Jesus' inscription, we're told, according to John chapter 19, verse 20, Jesus' was written in Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. wanted to make absolutely sure everybody knew why this guy was there. Pilate was the one who would have been responsible for specifying what the charge would would be. And uh, Pilate had repeatedly declared Jesus to be innocent of any crime. So he ordered this inscription to be written for him. Pilate, I'm sure, intended it for it, intended for that to be an affront to the Jewish authorities. If you read the other read the other Gospels, remember they didn't want it to say the King of the Jews. They wanted it to say he said, "I am the King of the Jews," and Pilate would have nothing to do with that. So he was trying to get back at the Jews who had just run over him for the umpteenth time and overruling him or manipulating him, I should say. And by the way. Uh, Mark says that the inscription says, the king of the Jews. If you read Matthew, you read Luke, you read John, none of them say that the inscription exactly said the king of the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you read the four descriptions of, the, uh, of what was over the cross, no two of them are identical. So, I love to use this passage when I'm helping people learn how to uh, interpret the Bible, and we teach uh, the principle of how, how you have to harmonize parallel passages of the same thing. If you, if you put all four Gospels together, there's no contradiction, but if you put together all the pieces, the description said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. None of them contradict, but none of them have the full inscription either. That's not a problem. That's not a, that's not a contradiction. Now, if one of them said, this is Bob of Boise, the king of the road, we'd have a problem, okay? But that's not the point. It's a, it's a really good little study in how to interpret the Bible. Now, we know that Jesus was crucified in the, on the middle of three crosses on that day. Again, we can go study the... Um, the, the archaeology that we have on this, um, on this, on this place, and uh, we know what the most widely accepted place is, says so right in your hymn book, on a hill far away. Well, part of that's right. It's far away. We know that it happened right outside the, the walls of the ancient city of uh, Jerusalem. You know, the, the Bible doesn't even say that it was on a hill. Um, when, uh, when crucifixions were performed, we know that 
The purpose of capital punishment as the Romans saw it is as it should be in any place that capital punishment is practiced. It's meant to be a deterrent. So they wanted people to see visually what happened if you did really awful things. And so crucifixions were done at, at, uh, alongside major roads or at, or at intersections, places where there would be a lot of public attention. It might have been on a hill, but all we can do is say we don't know, and it probably was a very public place. You'll notice that whenever you see this portrayed in any kind of artwork, um, you always see that Jesus was on a cross higher than the other two, or that his cross uh, stood out in front of the other two, and that's absolutely pure myth. Nothing in the Bible indicates that what, at all. He was crucified just like the criminals that were on either side of him. They crucified him, and then we read on, the mocking continued. We saw the incredible level of blasphemy surrounding all the stages of Jesus' trial and sentencing, and uh, it didn't fade one bit when he went to the cross. Look at verses 29 and 30 in Mark 15. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, shouting at him, wagging their heads, and the phrase literally is lifting their noses, like sneering at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Whoever these unnamed passers-by were, they were just parroting what they had heard. They'd heard the false accusation um, that was brought against Jesus that he said he would destroy the temple. He never did say that. They were twisting what he said about his own death in John chapter 2, verses 19 through, through 21. But, you know, tell a lie long enough and loud enough and it becomes, a, it becomes a motto. Well, by this time, you would think that the chief priests and the scribes who'd been working on this plan for over a year, you would think that by now they would be satisfied. You would think that by now they would go back to their normal, hypocritical, public pomposity and displays of self-righteousness, but not to be. Their mask of pseudo-spirituality and decency is completely off now. They keep the the party going, if you will, reveling in, making fun of Jesus' suffering and mocking Him all the more. Verse 31, in the same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking Him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Now, that's interesting. They had seen for three years countless miracles. They had rejected all of them. They'd said it was all done by the power of Satan. They absolutely refused to believe anything Jesus said or the validity of anything that Jesus did. And now they have the audacity to say, well, if you just come down from the cross, we could see and believe. The hypocrisy is complete. And we're told at the end of verse 32, those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. It was nothing but ridicule and scorn and blasphemy. And, and the two men crucified on either side, they joined in. And what were they 
talking about, they didn't care about Jesus' trial. They were just parroting the things that they heard from the crowd. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.